0: with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation 8, beginning in verse 6. This is God's Word. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Would you take now and do what you alone can do and apply it to our hearts by opening our ears that we may hear, opening our eyes that we may see, And softening our cold hearts, our hard hearts, that we may receive what your word says for us. Encourage us. Magnify Christ for us today, we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know that I will ever forget the terrible event that happened in April 1986. The explosion at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, and what was the former Soviet Union. I was 12 years old at the time, and nuclear things really scared me. I remember thinking that stuff was going to come around and radiate us, and you know, I, I used to think that the Russians were watching us from spy satellites. I remember years later meeting a brother in Christ in Israel who was a Russian, and he was in the army, and he said to me, we used to watch each other, you know. It was that kind of mindset that as a child I was filled with fear. And what was interesting over the past year, we've had obviously a different rhythm in life. You have time to do things like watch documentaries. And I've watched a couple documentaries on this event. And one of the things that that really struck me from the investigations uh, that came from this is just the power of pride uh, and where it leads if you've ever looked at the history of that event and what they uncovered, not just in the individuals, but really that it, was, it was almost a case study for what was happening in the Soviet Union. And some have even argued that that was the domino, really, that led to the fall just a few years later, that it revealed to its people what the corruption of true great power does that, that, that really comes from pride. But one of the things I had forgotten about this event was how many um, evangelical teachers suggested that Chernobyl was the fulfillment of the third trumpet. Any of you remember that? Uh, Some of you might. There were those who suggested that the trumpet was fulfilled in this event. Um, You see, Chernobyl means wormwood in that language or a word close to that. It's associated with the word. So many people thought that this was the meaning, and so this was the fulfillment. It, it kind of made sense. The fallout from the plant did, in fact, not only kill people in the explosion, but the radiation that radiated out affected everything, including the water. It polluted a lot of the water. And so the question is, do we look at an event like that and pull out our, our newspapers and look for other events and kind of check them off? Like, okay, there's the third trumpet. We've got that. Well, hopefully by now, in our study of Revelation, you've begun to see that the prophecies given here are not given so that we can figure out a puzzle. Uh, We're we're not to simply lay our Bibles next to our news feeds, or if you still get what was called a newspaper, I don't know if any of you remember that. Um, that's, That's not all we're to do. Obviously, we're to be alert, we're to be aware, but we're not looking for... Uh, this is, the Bible's not a decoder ring. What is described in the book of Revelation is a vision that John had, an incredible vision that was designed to give hope to a persecuted church, not just the seven churches in Asia, but the church throughout the age. That as we suffer and as we see the enemies of God rise in power, and as we scratch our head and we ask, How long, O oh Lord? that we come back to this book and we are reminded who is sovereign over all these matters. Yes, future events are portrayed in the book of Revelation through symbols, many of which were designed to draw uh, from Old Testament imagery. We've done a number of... of uh, Uh, or rather we've looked back a number of times and seen the correlation between just how much John relied on Old Testament imagery. You can't understand the book of Revelation without understanding your Old Testament. But just as the Chernobyl disaster failed to measure up to fulfilling the third trumpet, so every generation in the past 2,000 years has discovered that although we live in the last days, that their own day wasn't the last day and it's important for us to remember that because no man knows the day or the hour but yet so many are trying to figure it out it's not the point what was the point was the command to figure it out anybody got a bible verse where jesus said figure it out <laughs> no what did he say be ready be alert that's the command just be ready be alert our focus is not to be simply on world events, simply on natural disasters or geopolitical affairs. Instead, we should live every day as if he would return. And rather than, if you can imagine, because everyone will know when he returns, there will be a great shout and a trumpet blast, rather than our response being, Oh, no, I wasn't ready. Rather, it should be, Great. It's finally done. That should be what we're positioned for. Last week, we looked at the introduction to the trumpets. We considered the Old Testament story of Jericho and how we saw trumpets used there to better understand what John might be pointing to. Uh, Israel in Joshua 6 is led by seven priests blowing seven trumpets for seven days, march around the city. And so one insight from this correlation is that trumpets announce. So these trumpets are announcing something. Now, in that time, it was an act of war. It was also, we know, an act of God's judgment on pagan Jericho. Uh, We also know that trumpets are used to announce royalty, Christ's return, shout of an angel, blast of a trumpet. So we, we understand how trumpets can be used to announce various things. Today, we look at the first four trumpets. And it seems that the perspective here is on the unbelieving world. I'll point this out as we go through it. While the seals seem to have more of a focus on the believers, we see the the, the cry, how long, O Lord, the restraint and protection that God shows, the marking of the foreheads, all those things that we saw as we worked our way through the seals. Here, we begin to see that there is a, a restraint as well, but it is a restraint in that people would repent. In that at this time, while the trumpets are being blasted, not everything is decimated. It's a third. You saw that repeated. I didn't even count how many times one-third is in here, but I know it's more than a dozen. So there's there's restraint. There's still time to repent. If we look ahead to the sixth trumpet in Revelation 9.20, we read, The rest of mankind, so this is moving forward, the rest of mankind at this point who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And so the trumpets serve at least as a call to repentance for those who have yet to believe. I think it's also a call to believers who are walking in sin to repent as well. I don't think it's just limited to that. Uh, I, if you notice the connection to idolatry here, we're going to see this more as we look to some other Old Testament passages. But here in Revelation 9.20, as we come to the end, those who did not repent, it says they didn't, they didn't turn from their idolatry. And it doesn't just list idols—the ones that you know we think of, of of wood or gold or whatever—but it lists sins as well. And that's not intended to be an exhaustive list. It's a list to say there's enough here to show we're all guilty, right? These these are you know things that we're guilty of, and that our sin flows from our idolatry. That's how it works. Because you know, in a secular day where we don't really see temples and, and and idols so much, it can be hard to understand how idolatry relates to us. Until we understand that idolatry is in our hearts, what you do demonstrates what you love. You've heard people say, like, you know, tell me your priorities. You know, show me your checkbook, show me your diary or your your day planner. Then I'll show you what your priorities are. It's not what we say, but what we do that really demonstrates what we love and what we love we worship. So our sin then reveals our idols. Keep that in mind today. One other thing to keep in mind is that the trumpets connect us back to the plagues in Egypt. You notice some similar things that happened during the plagues are described here. There's some connections that we see with the Exodus and the trumpets, specifically the first five trumpets. The plagues in Egypt, what were they designed to do? They were designed to punish Pharaoh for his hardness of heart, for refusing to let Israel go, in addition to Egypt's idolatry, for their mistreatment of God's people, that was what the plagues—the role that the plagues served—and so we can then begin to understand a little bit of these, uh, the role of these plagues here as well. That God is going to punish those who worship other gods; that He's going to punish those who mistreat His church, who refuse to let them go. Greg Beale writes, these plagues are now shown to be typological or prophetic foreshadowings of God's judgments against unbelievers throughout the church age and culminating in the last judgment, which initiates the final exodus of God's people from this world of captivity into eternal freedom. And so beginning in verse six, we see the seven angels are readied. They're prepared to blast the trumpets and the first one takes off in verse seven blowing his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, you'll remember when we looked at the first four seals, we've talked about parallels, how these parallel, they tell the same story from different perspectives, and so we would expect some correlation here as well. The first four seals were the first f- f- the four horsemen, right? And as we looked into the Old Testament, what we learned about what we learned about horsemen from Zechariah, from Ezekiel, is that they were sent to the four corners of the world. In other words, there wasn't a specific geography that God was judging, like we see in much of the Old Testament. Uh, the pattern at the end is God is going to judge the whole world. Uh, he's going to go, uh, and that was what was being described there, four cor- cor- corners of the earth. Well, here we see the same thing in the four trumpets. They are judgments that are carried out across the planet, striking the four major divisions of creation, land, sea, fresh water, and sky. And so there is a pattern in these trumpets or in these plagues. And yet there's the restraint that we've talked about, one-third are affected. Now when we get to the first four bowls, we would again expect a correlation. But what we see, and the reason I use the slinky illustration is that, again, we look at it one circle, it's telling the same story. We pull it down from the side, we see that it's kind of spiraling, that we would expect intensity, uh, because that's what we see in the book of Revelation, that there is still a forward progressive, uh, progressive movement. And that's what we see when we get to the four bowls. The first trumpet, a third of the earth, the first bowl, all of the earth or all the land. The second trumpet, a third of the sea. The second bowl, all of the sea. And so there's this intensification. Third trumpet is the bitter water. Uh, the third bowl is the drinking of blood. It's an intensification. And the fourth is a third of the sky. And the fourth bowl is the sun scorching the entire earth. And so these are parallels, different perspectives, growing intensity, moving toward the end. We should expect things to get worse. The first trumpet is against the land with hail. And fire, and there's blood mixed in, indicating death. These are symbols. A third of the earth is affected. And most do see this as symbolic. There are those who understand this literally as a storm, a singular event that would destroy the earth. That may be hard to imagine. I hope that by the time we get to the fourth trumpet, you'll see how difficult it is to interpret these completely literally because it becomes increasingly difficult to understand this. That they're at least symbolic. Now, the reference, uh, if it's not to literal hailstorms, it may also be to the idea that uh, uh, these are storms that that take place over time, throughout the church age, uh, decimating, uh, you know, in a sense one third of the earth. We see this measure of one third. I mentioned uh, throughout, and like many numbers, numbers are often used in apocalyptic literature as symbolic. We would expect the same here. And so that, you know, one of the ways that we might understand the, the hail and the lightning uh, is that it would represent basically land-based storms throughout the church age. That's one way of looking at it. Or they're symbolic of something else. They're symbolic of something that we would see represented in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Now, the idealist view, uh, as we've talked about, sees this progressive uh, increasing intensity Uh, whether representing uh, literal events, natural disasters, or that they represent something else, the falling of kingdoms. They are designed to demonstrate God's power over these things that people might see uh, the falling, uh, whether it's the falling of hail or the falling of kingdoms, and recognize the God who rules over both and repent. Historicists understand these first four trumpets as the fall of Western Roman Empire, and the latter three trumpets is the fall of the Eastern Roman Empire. Preterists, as you might imagine, are thinking more uh, distinctly in and around Israel, the fall of of Jerusalem, the the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and that's where they go with this. The futurist view uh, is pretty varied, but uh, there are those who see this, as I mentioned, as a literal singular event. Uh, Others see it as symbolic of something like a nuclear war representing some kind of nuclear conflict. If one does not see these as representing, if if they're not symbolic, if it is a storm, it it does remain problematic to see these as a strict, literal, uh, singular event. And this becomes increasingly difficult, as I mentioned, as we get toward the fourth trumpet. Why is this? Why am I hitting on this? Well... First of all, I want you to see that there's a pattern here. I've mentioned it already. Land, sea, fresh water, sky. Uh, what's left? Those are the four. I mean, we could sum up all of creation in those four things. It seems to be a pattern representing all of creation. There's intentionality there. And then the, just the, the, the similarity of a third, a third, a third, and a third. Uh, you know, could God do this? Literally, could he destroy just one third of something? um he could uh, but there's there's no uh, biblical evidence of this there's no i mean even when we see things happening in the sky in the past and so forth uh, they're often symbolic of things that we uh, would understand as events or like i said the falling of of uh, kingdoms or nations so rather than a singular event these would be better understood as ongoing events that man cannot control but demonstrate god's power which we regularly witness in our world The second trumpet involves something like a great mountain that is thrown into the sea and brings death to animals in the sea and destroys ships. Again, we see the one-third distinction. Again, it's hard to understand how this is literally to be understood, although it could be uh, in in the sense of, of something happening in the sea. But symbolic language is used here. So something like a mountain, So at least that is symbolic. It's not literally a mountain. A mountain is not thrown into the sea, but something like a mountain uh, falls into the sea. But I've said throughout our study that we've got to go back and look at the Old Testament of how these symbols are used because John is clearly relying on his Old Testament to do this. And so when we look back at how mountains are used in uh, Old Testament Scripture, we see that they typically represent cities or kingdoms, particularly those uh, that were the center or what we would call a capital, a capital city of a strong empire. And so this is how historicists and preterists understand this symbol. There's a variety of views about the particulars of what the mountain means. Uh, Futurists, many of which hold to a literal event that there is something that falls from the sky, either a comet or some uh, believe that it's some kind of bomb that results in the killing of a third of the animals in the sea, a third of the ships. The idealist, however, looks back to the Old Testament and sees in Jeremiah how the term mountain is used. This is just one example. In Jeremiah 51, Babylon is described as a great mountain. And if you know the book of Revelation, you know we're going to see Babylon again. But Babylon has come and gone. And so the Babylon in Revelation, as we get to the end, must be symbolic, right? I mean, it's, it's hard to think of... Uh, Is Babylon going to get resurrected, or is it really symbolic of the Old Testament Babylon? I'll argue that it's symbolic. And what we see in in Jeremiah Jeremiah 51, rather, is that not only is Babylon depicted as a mountain, but guess what? The mountain is thrown into the sea in verse 42. And so, it is depicting here the fall of the great Babylon. So, a correlation of the symbol that we see in Revelation, we find that in Jeremiah, that this is describing the fall of a great kingdom. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't see natural disasters. It, won't, it doesn't mean that God won't use natural disasters, but we don't need to, to necessarily limit God's judgment to only being natural disasters. My point is is that whether you understand them as natural disasters or falling kingdoms, God rules over both. And God in the book of Revelation shows that he's going to end both. He's going to bring both low. He's going to uh, destroy all. I mean, he's going to level it. And so when we think of the things that have affected us, uh, the things that we, we have suffered under, God is saying, I'm going to deal with all of this. You can't... We know this well. You can't control, you can't even predict the hurricane's direction, let alone control it. Um, you know, we've been here three years and we're still holding our breath because we haven't experienced. But remember Dorian? I mean, we, everybody said it was coming. You know, it was right there and then it just parked itself, unfortunately, off the coast over the Bahamas and then went north and we didn't get anything, really. Uh, we don't control nature. We can't control nature. We can hardly predict it. Neither can we control the effectiveness or the endurance of a nation. And this includes our own. What is the point? Worship neither nature or nation state. Instead, worship the God who rules over both. Don't put your trust in figuring out nature. Don't put your hope in nature. Don't put your hope in the nation state. Don't put your hope even in America. Instead, hope in God because he rules over both. The third trumpet comes, we see a great star fell from heaven, polluted one-third of the fresh water. Again, hard to imagine how this would happen literally for the star or meteor or something to break apart perfectly uh, and get only one-third of the fresh water sources. Not saying that God couldn't do this, just saying that it becomes increasingly difficult to understand how this would happen. Uh, I would take us back to the Old Testament again to see how these images are used For example, wormwood is used to describe uh, the result of God's judgment against idolatrous Israel. So we see the tie-in again with idolatry. Uh, This is in Jeremiah 9.15 and again in chapter 23. So the judgment of idolatry is coming through again. This must be something that we need to think of or remember. Also you may consider how wormwood is used in passages like Proverbs 5:4 where it refers to the suffering that follows sin. And then in this case it's one of the sins that's listed in Revelation 9:20, sin of sexual immorality. Another reference is to uh, again to Babylon, this time the king in Isaiah 14 where he is compared to a star that has fallen. And so again we may want to clue into this because there seems to be a correlation. You remember Nebuchadnezzar, he thought much of himself. He said, I will make myself like the Most High. Can you imagine someone saying that? That's how much he thought of himself. Scripture tells us that he thought in his heart that his throne would be above the throne of God. That's that's, that's what sin does. It makes us delusional. It makes us insane. To think that the created... Could rise above the Creator's throne. We remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar, how he was utterly humbled as a result of this. And so, when we worship the kingdoms of this world or the rulers of this world, and here don't think just literally nation states or powers, geopolitical powers, but we see a lot of power being manifest in corporations, in organizations, in movements, and in groups. And when we put our trust in people, when we put our trust in worldly powers, we find that these quickly become idols of our hearts. There's no better example in America right now, I think, than in politics. I mean, it just just reveals where our, our, our hearts go and how quickly our politics can become an idol. This should not be so for Christians. We should not trust in man or in government. Each of these, it seems, as we move through the trumpets, and we're going to continue to see it because we see it all the way up to the sixth trumpet that I read in, verse, or in chapter 9, that there is a connection with idolatry. This is what is being brought out. If you think of how our world works uh, right now, we all are quite aware of our supply chain. Our supply chain comes from natural resources. Here in Revelation, we're seeing things affected in the created realm. So is it about kingdoms and powers? Uh, is it about natural disasters? Is it about natural resources? Or maybe it's about all <laughs> of the above and just terms of how intertwined it all is. Think of where we put our trust. Think of what toilet paper revealed to us last year. My goodness. You know? Just recently, there was a near little, just a news blip. I mean, of course, a news blip is they go crazy about everything, right? You know, it's just all the sensationalism. But, you know, there's this gas thing, and all of a sudden, you know, most of the gas stations I went to in Vera were out, or they were charging a lot of money for that premium stuff to put in there. What does this say about our hearts? Where do we go? when we face these situations. I mean, as believers, we are to be wise. doesn't mean that we just sit back and say, I won't go fill my cart with gas because I trust God. But we also have to really ask ourselves where our hope is. Is our hope in the fact that we get our car filled with gas? Like, is everything okay once it's filled up? Like, okay, now, now, you know, I'm worried and fretful and filled with stress and anxiety and I need to take Tums because I don't know where I'm going to find gas or toilet paper. Or is our hope in God? I mean, we laugh at these things because we, I've, I've done it, you know? I drove around town looking for fuel. Uh, I've gone around looking for toilet paper. It shows us where we find our confidence. So whatever this image represents, however these things unfold as the age carries on, we should be reminded not to trust in nature or nation or other great powers to meet our needs, but to look alone to our God who has promised to supply all of our needs. The fourth trumpet sounds, the celestial lights go out, or at least a third of them do. Or you might ask, is it that they're dimmed by a third? That's one understanding of this. I've mentioned it gets harder and harder to understand how these could literally be fulfilled. This one, I think, is the most difficult because where we might think of a third of an eclipse, that would only affect the sun and possibly the moon, but it wouldn't affect the stars. And so how do a third of the stars disappear? And it's not an end-time event in the sense of the the, the finality that we see in the sixth seal where everything goes dark. It's only partial. Um, Some suggest that this is pollution or ash from volcanic activity, or uh, maybe nuclear fallout that limits the light by a third. The problem with that is it's not really consistent with the way that a third is used in the other three seals, and so that becomes uh, problematic. If we understand the first three trumpets as occurring throughout the last days, which is an argument that I'm making, that that since the coming of Christ, this is describing the, the time that we're in, then it would make sense to understand this as well, this uh, fourth trumpet as well. Now, certainly we've seen events happen, uh, natural disasters, things on land, sea, fresh water, even in the sky. We've also seen symbolic events representing governments, industries, and other powers that have been wiped from the map. We just have to read our history books to see this is what happens. But the point here is that the judgments are partial. That's what I want you to see, is that a third is being used to show that these are not final. They're designed to show God's power and our need of a Savior. The point of the first four trumpets is that no aspect of creation will remain untouched by these judgments, nor will kingdoms or powers remain unscathed. Just as the final judgment will not be escapable, it is a call to repentance. So this is designed to encourage us that if you think of the the seven churches in Asia suffering under the rule of Rome and the persecution, as we read through those addresses to those seven churches, realizing that some were suffering already, some were yet to suffer, but we know from history they certainly did. And as those years went on, as, as the persecution increased, and they're suffering under a powerful government that they have no recourse over, there's nothing they can do but just to, to, to stay the course, what kind of encouragement would they need? It's this, right? It's, the, it's, it's not just the hope that I'm going to deliver you, it's that I'm going to bring justice. I'm going to decimate these kingdoms. Rome thought they were the greatest thing ever, and they're a page in our history books. Some people have the same idea of America. America will one day be a page in the history book unless Jesus returns. Our point is is not to put our confidence in these things, nor are we to dread them as if they are the ultimate power. God is the one who is omnipotent over all of these things. Looking in verse 13, we see that there's this little interlude, or really it kind of serves more as an introduction to the fifth trumpet, where John begins with that familiar phrase, Then I looked. He looks, but notice he doesn't describe what he sees. He describes what he hears. He says, I look and I heard... Uh, the sound of an eagle. And then he describes that the, the this bird of prey begins to cry out loudly, woe, 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 signaling three woes for the final three trumpets. And so, again, I've argued for an increasing intensity. This is another argument here for that, that the three last three t- trumpets are going to be Worse, These are addressed specifically to those who dwell on the earth, those who are unbelievers, those who are persecuting the church. That phrase is used throughout Revelation to indicate those who have rejected God and or persecuted his people. And so, in other words, we could say that where the first four are aimed at the divisions of creation, covering all the earth, now we're beginning to zero in on people. As the time goes on, the, 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 the call to repentance, in a sense, becomes louder. That you don't have forever. You don't have forever to repent. There is a day that is coming. A final judgment is coming. And at that point, there is no more time left. Now is the time. This is the time to repent. Repent. The historicists understand this this shift between the first four and the last three, between the destruction of the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. Of course, the Preterist sees this as the end of Jerusalem. The future understands the woes to define judgment between judgments against man and judgments against demons. And the idealists suggest the woes announce the increasing intensity of judgment as the end approaches. What is clear, regardless of your position on those things, is that God will judge not only individuals, but world powers that rise up against him, just as he judged Pharaoh in Egypt. He not only judged Pharaoh as a person, but he judged all of Egypt. The plagues affected all of Egypt. And in the same way that God delivered his people in the Exodus, he has ultimately delivered his people from sin and death through the blood of his son. Those events that led to their Exodus, that literal Exodus from slavery, we see some of these things repeat here uh, trumpet uh, in the trumpets, the hail, the fouled water, the darkness in the skies. And yet, the deliverance of God's people from sin, although it's literal, is not accomplished through natural disasters. Right? It was taken care of at the cross. That, again, speaks to how we would understand this that how God would use this, this vision and these symbols to help us understand that these are warnings of the final judgment that is coming. The only way that we can stand before a holy creator is by having our sins washed away by the blood of Christ who died in our place. That deliverance that is portrayed in his washing away is set before us today in this table. The Passover... Think of that in the in the exodus from Egypt, how that led to their... That was the final straw for Pharaoh. He finally said, you can go after the death of the firstborn. And yet that Passover is filled, fulfilled in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The manna by which the Israelites were fed in the wilderness following the exodus points to the bread of life who came to feed us with eternal food. And so this table then is that means of grace by which we can endure the last days. However long we're here, as long as we have breath, however long until Christ returns, we need to be fed by Christ himself. And so it serves then to to nourish us. It also serves as a testimony, as a warning to those who have yet to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. And so as we approach this table today, May we be reminded of the great salvation that is ours in Christ, that he is coming to judge, that he will bring justice. And in that final judgment, although scary for those who don't know him, for us it will be the completion of our salvation, where our faith becomes sight. And so we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do long for your return. Our world is... Wrecked by our sin and we long to see your justice. Lord, but we also long to see your mercy because we are recipients of that mercy. There are many that we know and love and care about who have yet to believe. And so we pray that as people observe the rise and fall of kingdoms or natural disasters or other events that are beyond their power and their control, that they will recognize There is one who rules over all, and they must stand before him someday. Lord, may they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. May they hear it from our lips. May they hear it from our testimony. May they hear it from the very lives that we live, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. So give us courage. Give us hope. Make our hearts compassionate towards those who yet to know you, And give us opportunities and may we be bold to take them to speak of the hope that is within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.